0: Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a great episode with Heather Kelly of Heather's Choice, and we're going to learn a lot about uh, backpacking meals. And uh, Heather has an extensive uh, background in collegiate athletics, uh, which has led her uh, to uh, discovering how to best dehydrate food. And um, I've tried a bunch of her products, and they're They're really good. The packaging's awesome. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Uh, Before we get to the episode, I'd like to announce a couple things. We've got a free trial promo going with GoHunt.com Insider. You'll have a 30-day free trial exclusive just for the J. Scott Podcast listeners. If you've uh, heard about uh, GoHunt Insider... Uh, if you haven't heard about them, uh, then you need to go check them out. It's a 30-day free trial. One of the unbelievable things about Go Hunt Insider is the filtering 2.0 system, which allows you to search all of the draw odds of the Western states, the harvest statistics, and all of get down to the nitty gritty of all of the details uh, involved in the Western states. And also, you get application strategies. Uh, and being a part of a Go Hunt uh, Insider, uh, every uh, month they give away hunts. They give away uh, they give away great hunting gear, uh, Kuyu backpacks, Kuyu tents. Uh, they gave away a mule deer hunt, an antelope hunt, an elk hunt, a doll sheep hunt. And uh, this is your opportunity for a th- free thirty day trial all you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott all one word and click on the blue free trial button go through the steps it only takes about two minutes Uh, you'll be required to give a credit card but you will not be charged until after the free 30 days you can cancel any time within the first 30 days to prevent being charged if you have any questions at all you can also email free trial at GoHunt.com and someone from the GoHunt team will promptly uh, respond and take care of your needs. Uh, guys, this is a great opportunity for free to go in and see what the GoHunt Insider is all about. Uh, I use it on all uh, on applying for all the western states uh, and there's already been a bunch of people that have taken advantage of this free trial so I encourage you to do so. Uh, also encourage you to, to you, once you get on there, you're going you're gonna to love it, and you're going to realize that it's an unbelievable resource uh, for anybody that's applying in Western states. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their title sponsorship of this podcast Another promotion that we're offering is with another one of our sponsors, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter Magazine, and the new cool promotion that we're doing with them is that if you subscribe today, you can get the newly released fall issue of the Elk Hunter Magazine totally free and delivered to your door. This particular issue has an extensive article from from Corey Jacobson, the world champion elk caller on the anatomy of elk, complete with detailed photographs and diagrams. This is the most complete article ever written on the subject and is a must read for any elk hunter. Also, Colton Bagnoli introduces hunters to the use of suppressors and why hunters would want to own one. Uh, Also, How to Be an Elk Guide by Remy Warren as he breaks down the do's and don'ts of how to get started. And Darren Cooper explains the result of his arrow fletching test and field tips and broadheads. You can go to westernhunter.net. And subscribe to Western Hunter, Elk Hunter, or the best value then is to subscribe for both. When you check out, just plug in the discount code JSCOTT, all one word, and your free issue will be on its way. Guys, I want to thank all of you guys, my listeners, for all of your support. Uh, I also want to encourage you to send me emails. I get emails every day from listeners at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, I try and respond as quickly as I can, usually within an hour or so. Uh, I also am going to be featuring on this podcast. I'm going to be answering a bunch of these questions, uh, and I just really appreciate the the feedback, the support, and all the interaction with each one of my listeners. Uh, Up here in Colorado for the summer, I actually was fortunate last week to go to lunch on two different days with uh, two different listeners of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, who, who looked me up through Instagram and said, let's get together for lunch. And I just really enjoy that uh, personal feedback uh, from from each one of you guys, the listeners, and I value each and every one of you. So I just want to thank you for your support. This is going to be a great episode with Heather Kelly. Uh, you guys are going to learn a lot and um, I want to hear from you. I want to hear how you guys like this episode. So feel free to shoot me a, a text or an email or an Instagram message or a Facebook message. That brings me to my next point. Uh, we have revamped the J Scott Outdoors business page on Facebook. Uh, if you haven't, go over there, give us a like uh, and check it out. Have had several uh, elk videos. Uh, on that page that have had over a million views in a matter of days Uh, I think we had so six or seven million on our reach uh, last week alone Uh, so great things going on over there also in the process of revamping my website now you can just go to one central location that's jscottoutdoors.com you can send me an email through there you can get my telephone number you can get links to my Instagram, my YouTube, and my Facebook. Um, and it's a great way to connect there. And uh, that website's going to be uh, continuing to uh, get better every day, and more content's going to be added there. So, uh, guys, again, thanks for your support. Let's get right to this episode with Heather Kelly. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors Podcast. Today, we've got a special episode with Heather Kelly. Heather has Heather's Choice Backpacking Meals, and uh, I've had the fortune of uh, ordering the sampler pack and uh, basically got almost everything you make, I think, Heather, and I've been trying it over the last uh, week, and my wife and I have been really enjoying it. How are you doing, Heather? Oh,
1: doing great. Just enjoying Alaska and kind of gearing up for my next big adventure.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I want to talk to you all about that. Uh, What part of Alaska have I caught you in today?
1: Uh, Today I'm in Anchorage and just drove in from our place out in Bird Creek, which is about 25 miles south of Anchorage.
0: Gotcha. And how long have you lived in Alaska?
1: Uh, Born and raised. I left for college to go to school in Bellingham and spent some good time in Colorado for a bit, but ultimately got so damn homesick I had to (laughs) move back to Alaska because summers in Alaska are impossible to beat in my mind.
0: Yeah, I haven't made it up to Alaska yet, but I have a lot of friends that have. And it's sure, uh, as much as my wife and I like uh, spending our time here in Colorado, I, I imagine Alaska has a lot of similarities, uh, but probably with a lot less
1: people. Yeah, I think we're creeping up on a half million people here in Anchorage, which is, you know, half the population of Alaska. So it's, always really humbling how you can leave Anchorage and even just walk out your back door. And uh, like we went on a big hike Saturday and we were on the trail for 16 miles and didn't see another person the whole way. So <laughs> we have that liberty.
0: That's awesome. That That's incredible. I've got a couple questions for you growing up in Alaska. Um, did you grow up um, out in the bush or were you near Anchorage?
1: Near Anchorage. So this place where we live now, Bird Creek, is actually where my dad was born and raised as well. It's kind of a cool story. My grandparents came up in the 1950s, and my grandpa was up here for a year working for the military, uh, helping build, I think, the Air Force base. And he was here for a year, fell in love with it, went back to St. Louis and scooped up my grandma and said, we're moving to Alaska, honey. (laughs) And uh, they did some of the very last homesteading in Bird Creek. I think they bought five acres for 250 bucks and built this log cabin where they didn't have running water or electricity for, I think, the first 10 years of my dad's life or something like that. And uh, yeah, my dad helped kind of finish the house and has never left. So we now have this beautiful piece of property right up against the Chugach National Forest. So our backyard is... Pretty infinite, so we get grizzly bears and we get silver salmon running up the stream near us, and it's pretty much an oasis.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And and so, uh, growing up there, you obviously were into hiking. And tell me all the things you did as a as a kid um, growing up.
1: Sure, I wasn't a super athletic kid. Uh, I actually. When I went left for college, I thought I was going to get into photography. So I can't say that I necessarily grew up backpacking and camping, but definitely grew up with a really strong food culture. My mom's kind of the ultimate foodie, and I always joke that she would be really upset if she knew I ever ate a non-organic apple. <laughs> so um, I spent a lot of time with my mom just picking berries, and we would go fishing all the time, and we'd spend a lot of Saturdays at the farmer's market. And so that was always really awesome to always know that I was eating super healthy good food and she kind of groomed me to be a little bit of a food snob I guess.
0: (laughs) Well and that's um, a lot of your background in what's brought you to creating these um, awesome meals. Uh, Before we get to that uh, as you uh, transitioned into college um, you are a two-time NCAA uh, national champion uh in rowing and I'd like to get um how you first started rowing and when you knew that you would be pretty good at your trade
1: <laughs> sure so when I was 18 I was recruited to start raft guiding up here in Alaska and my good friend Allison and I basically just signed up to start rowing boats for this company Chugach Adventure Guides down in Girdwood And neither one of us had ever rowed a boat before. And so I remember my first summer of raft guiding was filled with tears and screw ups and flipped boats. And (laughs) it was definitely a steep learning curve. But that summer, I was headed off to college in the fall. And I had a gentleman who was a client that rowed my boat. And he took one look at me and said, you need to go out for crew when you get to college. And I didn't even know what crew was. And you know, kind of blew it off. But then when I got to Western Washington University, I found out that Western actually had a really competitive rowing team. And so I showed up for the first practice at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and just immediately fell in love with it because you're out on the water. It's still dark. You have stars overhead. Sometimes you have a little bit of fog on the lake. And it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> if anybody has ever sat down on an erg or a rowing machine and pulled 2,000 meters for time, you likely know how difficult it is. And so I just got completely hooked and uh, stuck with it all four years, and I was just just shy of going to nationals my freshman year. I went as an ultimate uh, alternate sorry, my sophomore year and then finally made the varsity eight my junior and senior year and uh, kept my seat. Through two national championships, so that was actually our fifth and sixth consecutive national championship as a team.
0: That's fantastic. So um, educate me. You know, I row a fly fishing raft, but I don't know much about competitive rowing. Uh, educate uh, us on. You know, obviously it's a team game. How how many people in a boat? Um, and, and tell me a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Crews are pretty unique. I think it's actually the oldest collegiate sport and you have all different types of boats. You have singles, you have doubles and pairs. So you might have two people with two oars or two people with one oar. and then you have quads or fours where again, people have two or single oars. Usually in those four person boats is when you start to see you're also adding a coxswain. So you're maybe adding a fifth person to that boat. Which is
0: the person that steers the boat? Yep,
1: they steer and they're kind of the brains behind the whole operation. Coxswains don't get enough credit for what they do because not only are they steering, but they're also talking to you throughout the entire race and kind of helping you to execute your race plan. And they're telling you where you are on other crews and where you are in the course. Because in a racing shell, like let's say the eight woman boat that I was in, your feet are in these shoes that are strapped to a flat board and then your seat slides back and forth. And so you're kind of stationary in this boat with where your feet are. And then you just move your butt back and forth. But since you're facing the stern, you can't see what's coming. All you see is the girl in front of you or the coxswain in front of you. And you are literally just a cog in the wheel doing what you're told. (laughs) So it's pretty unique. And, uh, yeah, like I say, 2,000 meters is typically the distance that we run, and that would take anywhere from six to seven minutes. Otherwise, if you were doing longer races, somewhere closer to 5,000 meters, you know, it would take substantially longer and hurt substantially more.
0: <laughs> what kind of training? I mean, it sounds like you went from being a raft guide uh, for a summer and then diving into um, you know, college athletics. What kind of training did you guys go through? Uh, in those four years uh, at Western Washington.
1: You know, it was definitely heavy on the training. I think I was spending close to 24 hours a week training during college. So I feel like I mostly went to school to row. And typically we would get up at 4.15 and drive out to the lake and we would start practice at five and get off the water somewhere around 7 a.m., get back, shower, go to class. And then we always had afternoon workouts that ranged from really long cardio sessions to strength training to getting back out on the water. It was pretty wide ranging. And I was fortunate enough to keep my raft guiding job in the summer months. So I was training for crew all summer and spending long days out on the water. So it worked out to be a pretty good deal that I sort of had this cross training that I was getting paid for.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, what kind of raft in the summer were you mainly uh, rowing? And you know, how 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 big of a raft?
1: We were typically in eighteen foot airs with stern mount frames, so that was nice to just be in the back of the boat, oaring people around. <laughs> I spent one summer in Colorado uh, paddle guiding, and I actually really didn't like it because. For people who don't know, oaring, you have your two oars and you're kind of steering and you've got full control of the boat. Whereas paddle guiding, you have all your passengers with paddles and then you're in the back kind of steering the boat with your paddle. And it's just a totally different animal. I know people love paddle guiding boats, but I couldn't stand it because I was so dependent. on All of my passengers did get me down river. So I ultimately ended up going back to oar boating.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. As someone, I've been rowing uh, my raft uh, with the you know the oar frames and and the whole setup uh, since 2010, and I can't imagine going down some of the the rapids and knowing that you're the only thing you can do is steer, and that when you need them to propel you, they may or may not follow directions. Um, I know in some of the dicey situations that I've rode in, it's nice. It, it, you, I actually almost have a calmness cause I feel, uh, pretty well in control. And, and, and I, I, I just can't imagine if, if I was just steering and didn't have the ability to, uh, you know, really control the situation.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely humbling. So it's, always fun to get out on the water though and like you say get in the sticks and scare yourself a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah for sure and so your junior and senior year you were a part of the national championship team uh where were the uh the champions uh or the championship where did it take place where did nationals or whatever take place
1: They tend to switch it between the East and the West coast. My first year going to nationals, we were in Camden, New Jersey, which is not the most beautiful place I've ever been. uh, But definitely an incredible trip and one I'll never forget. And then the following year we were in Sacramento on the American river.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's fantastic. Um, And after rowing uh, collegiately and, and at a high, high level, Um, Did it take you a a few years after that to, you know, you get real competitive and if you have to kind of turn that off, was that a little bit of a transition for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that I've successfully made that transition yet. Immediately after college, I went and got hooked up with a group of folks who were headed to go raft the Colorado River, which is kind of where my Heather's Choice uh, journey started. And so I went down and spent a month on the Colorado uh, for the month of December through January and was oaring boats down there on really big water and just, once again, getting scared out of my mind. But the, That's the
0: biggest of the big right there. It's
1: pretty big water, that's for sure. And so when I was on that river trip, somebody had mentioned, oh, you should go guide on the Poudre River outside Fort Collins. And so I took a leap of faith and drove my truck Uh, from Anchorage to Haynes, caught the ferry down to Bellingham, drove out to Colorado, and I didn't have a job when I left and didn't get hired on until about May. And uh, I immediately joined a CrossFit gym down there and totally drank the Kool-Aid on that and got super competitive with CrossFit for quite a few years. So that was kind of my transition, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that, uh, CrossFit will do that for sure. (laughs) Uh, Let's take a quick break here. Have you guys heard about Phonescope? Phonescope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. Phonescope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Phonescope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now! Use the J. Scott 16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. Okay, Heather, in college, uh, while you were rowing uh, like crazy, uh, you were also studying. Can you tell me a little bit of background in what you studied while you were in college?
1: Yeah, I was really fortunate to be in a school within a school. So Fairhaven was a segment of Western Washington University. And the idea behind Fairhaven was that they wanted you to be able to develop an interdisciplinary study or interdisciplinary concentration. So you were encouraged to actually craft your own curriculum. So I was able to actually put together this whole study based around evolutionary nutrition. So I had classes in nutritional anthropology, all the hard sciences, Uh, lots of sustainable agriculture classes, which were really awesome, and then a lot of mindfulness and well-being. And so I graduated with a degree in evolutionary nutrition with a strong emphasis on paleo sports nutrition, because in my years of rowing, I was always searching for the right diet. And I experimented with everything from vegan and raw foods to macrobiotics to the high carb sports nutrition diet that was kind of advocated for my sport. And nothing quite settled with me until I found the paleo diet for athletes. And as I was reading through that book by Lauren Cordain, everything just resonated really well. It was like, yeah, of course, we should be eating healthy proteins and high quality meats. Of course, we should be eating really delicious, <laughs> high quality fats and tons of fruits and vegetables. And so that sort of kind of shifted my trajectory into this whole paleo lifestyle and primal movement. And uh, it's been just a huge interest of mine for the last, I don't know, six or seven years now.
0: What what direct effect have you seen on your own personal body as far as, you know, strength um, and, and, you know, just just your body in general when you switched over and the light kind of went off What has it done for you?
1: That's a great question. When I was in college, I had kind of the same, I would say, digestive issues that a lot of people experience, whether it's like you can't go to the bathroom or you're going to the bathroom all the time, whatever it is, sometimes that might fluctuate. Uh, But one of the biggest things I noticed is that I went from training 24 hours a week and eating lots of oatmeal and lots of rice and just tons of carbohydrates, everything I could get my hands on to suddenly only exercising maybe an hour a day, or in my current uh, workout regimen, sometimes it's maybe even only three days a week. And so I dramatically cut back on the amount of exercise that I was doing. But by shifting to a paleo-oriented diet, I actually have more muscle than I did when I was in college. And I'm actually probably quite a bit leaner than I was because even when you're exercising that much if your diet isn't healthy, or you're really overdoing it on sugars, it's really easy to pack on a pretty substantial amount of weight. So even though my weight, the number that I'm at has stayed pretty consistent, I've definitely seen some body composition changes that have been for the better. Uh, But honestly, for me, the biggest thing I find is not having that digestive upset or that feeling of lethargy after a meal. Cause I think for a lot of people, they tend to eat a high carb meal and then afterwards they feel tired or lethargic, or they have an upset stomach or they feel bloated or distended. And by adopting this sort of paleo diet, I've found that that's just a non-issue. It's really easy to eat a meal and to walk away from it and actually have more energy than when you sat down to the table.
0: For the listeners out there, Heather, um, that don't really know what a paleo diet is, can you uh, as simply as possible kind of describe it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, Without getting into the weeds, I would say the the simplest way to think about it is a paleo diet is sort of emulating our hunter-gatherer ancestors. And the argument is that we evolved over millions of years on a diet of foods that you could either hunt or gather or go scrounge up. And it was only in the last ten to 15,000 years that we shifted to more of an agriculture-based society where people were responsible for raising our food for us, and that's what we ate. So our diet shifted from lots of healthy, wild game and seafood, lots of produce and roots and tubers and nuts and seeds, to all of a sudden it was way more focused on grains and beans and dairy and a lot of the, like I mentioned, agriculture-based foods. And so when you switch to a paleo diet you're going back to this nutrition plan that is a lot more nutrient dense like we could probably all agree that wild crafted food like fiddlehead ferns are probably more nutritious than cream of wheat <laughs> and yeah. so that's kind of the idea is just shifting back towards more of these wild or uh let's say non-grain based uh diets and it's immediately what you end up doing is cutting back on the amount of carbohydrates you're eating, specifically refined carbohydrates. You're increasing the amount of high-quality proteins you're eating and probably dramatically increasing the amount of high-quality fats you're having, like omega-3s instead of a lot of omega-6s. Yeah,
0: it makes total sense. Don't you think, in essence, um, I, I heard exactly what you said, but I think as our uh, world has gotten more populated, I think... There was a, 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 you know, probably 50 years ago or 40 years ago where it was, oh my gosh, there's so many people. What are we going to do to feed them all? Oh, this is the cheapest, easiest way to go when it it definitely wasn't the best way to go for our bodies. But don't you think it was more of a function of there's so many mouths to feed and, and people are watching their, you know, their price point that Uh, it it made it easy to go to some of the foods that our, our nation itself has gone to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually reading this book right now called Animal Vegetable Miracle, which is just fantastic. It was written, I think, a good 13 years ago or something. But it's the story of this woman actually deciding to do local food for her family for a year. So they're raising a lot of their own crops. But in the book, she talks a lot about that agenda where, you know, these farmers were being subsidized to grow things like corn and wheat and soy. And people can only eat so much of that. (laughs) You can only eat so much bread or you can only eat so many soybeans. And so out of that, there's basically been a movement towards a lot of food crafted products, whether it's high fructose corn syrup or it's cornstarch or whatever the byproduct may be of all these subsidized products. But you would be hard-pressed now to find packaged foods that don't contain wheat, corn, or soy. Um, you just may not recognize it on the label.
0: Yeah, and can you also – you alluded to it right there, but you, can you also tell the listeners that maybe have no clue? Because I'd like to put myself in that that uh, category of, of not having much of a clue over the last year. I've I've certainly – started listening. My wife eats really clean and, and, you know, I've started listening. But just go through a list of foods that there's just like in your mind, a a human body should not consume.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Well... uh, Just
0: just in general, you know, you don't have to be completely specific, but just, you know, a a good general...
1: Yeah, I'm pretty diplomatic about it. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think there's foods that obviously there's no need for them. So high fructose corn syrup being one of them, I think that's pretty uh, well accepted. But I think the biggest offender is actually going to be seed oils or industrial seed oils. So that includes canola oil, safflower, sunflower, uh, peanut oil, soy oil. And the reason for that is because these foods are so high in omega-6s that they're exceptionally pro-inflammatory. So if you're the person who really struggles with like achy joints or you don't want to get out of bed in the morning or you feel like you really struggle to recover from your training sessions, a lot of times that can be directly related to diet and to a pro-inflammatory diet. And we have such a hard time getting in enough omega-3 fats, which are anti-inflammatory, that we tend to, especially if we eat out a lot and we're getting a lot of these industrial seed oils in our food or our food's being cooked in those fats, uh, we kind of set ourselves up for failure where it doesn't matter how many omega-3 supplements you take, you're never going to put out that pro-inflammatory fire. So I would say that, you know, if I had to pick the worst food to eat, it'd probably be these really pro-inflammatory fats.
0: Okay. Good stuff. Um, it, Let's transition. When you were rowing uh, in the Grand Canyon and spending time there, that's where Heather's Choice uh, or the idea of Heather's Choice began. Can you walk me through that process?
1: (laughs) Sure. So when I signed up to be a boat captain on this Grand Canyon trip, I was given the menu for, you know, the entire 20 some odd days. And I was flipping through it and was like, man, you know, there's a lot of oatmeal for breakfast. There's sandwiches for lunch every day. Uh, towards the end of the trip there's Velveeta mac and cheese and canned chicken like I'm not super excited about this menu and I actually took it upon myself to pack all of my own food for the trip because I had already dove headfirst into this paleo primal lifestyle and I was so freaking nervous about this trip as a 23 year old girl signing up to be a boat captain that I knew that I wanted to have good food so I had good energy to be able to row this 3,000 pound boat. And so I ended up getting a food dehydrator and playing around with that for the better part of three weeks. And I dehydrated close to 50 pounds of food for this trip and just packed it in a great big dry bag and flew it down to Arizona with me. And that was sort of the beginning of me realizing wow, dehydrated food's pretty neat, <laughs> you know, because I can make things like moose jerky or I can make dehydrated purple sweet potatoes or fruit leathers. And I just had an absolute ball with that. And so since then, I've purchased lots of dehydrators and dehydrated lots of food for my own trips. And uh, eventually it turned into a business.
0: How long ago did Heather's Choice, uh, did did you start the business?
1: We started in August of 2014. And so I had been marinating on the idea for a good three or four years before we actually went into business
0: gotcha and um, tell me how the business has progressed and your product line now um, from when you started
1: wow yeah it's (laughs) i've been kind of relating it recently as riding a freight train since we started our website back in august of 2014 because I basically had a good friend of mine who almost triple dog dared me to start selling Heather's Choice. He's like, you know, you're super passionate about it. You've got the recipes, the food is awesome. You have requests from customers, you know, what's, what's holding you back. And so I basically was like, well, I need a commercial dehydrator. So I bought this little Cabela's commercial dehydrator for like 900 bucks And started my website and immediately within the first month was completely sold out and could no longer keep up. So it was definitely a rocky road in the beginning for me of, you know, staying up all hours of the night, shopping carrots and onions, making dark chocolate chili all hours of the day. (laughs) Um, And it's amazing that I can still eat that stuff because I've made it so many times. But eventually... I ended up hooking up with some good friends of mine back in Colorado who run a paleo meal service. And I approached them and said, Hey guys, you know, like I've got way more business than I can handle. Would you be willing to help me out? And so thankfully the guys from caveman chefs have come on and started acting as a co-packer for me. And since then we've added an additional kitchen up here in Alaska, uh, Tilgner specialized smoked seafood products, And they make all of our dehydrated smoked sockeye salmon chowder and smoked salmon snack packs. And so the business has grown from me dehydrating everything myself on like little itty bitty at home dehydrators to now we reach a nationwide market and we have orders coming in every single day. And granted, we're still trying to keep up. (laughs) Uh, Sure but it's been just absolutely incredible to see the amount of support that we've gotten over the last two years. So even though we're a very young business, uh, we even more than quadrupled our sales in the last three months.
0: That's fantastic. Um, I'm sure as you've grown, like most uh, s- small businesses that are really getting after it, um, quality control, um, how do you keep on top of the quality control aspect of your business?
1: Yeah, it's a great point. So one of the things that we do is we actually have hazard analysis, critical, con- critical control point plans, which I didn't know that was a thing until I started my own food business. But basically, we have really tight parameters on how long the food can be in the dehydrator for what temperature it needs to be at when it goes in. Uh, we actually take water activity the, at the end to make sure that the food is completely bone dry. So we have all these kind of checks and balances in place so that we make sure that the food is always safe because that's our biggest concern. But other products like our coconut macaroons, you know, we're still refining uh, our process on that simply because something like a cookie is such a subjective experience. You know, if you ever bite into one of our coconut macaroons. One person might be like, they're
0: phenomenal. Yeah.
1: Some people love them. Some people absolutely hate them, (laughs) which I've come to find out that a lot of people don't like coconut and it breaks my heart every time. Um, I love them. Thanks. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And, uh, so we're still trying to fine tune that stuff where we really just need someone who's dedicated there all the time, you know, testing and tasting every single batch. And, uh, you know, determining, okay, like they've been in the dehydrator long enough, but they're still not quite done. They need to go an hour longer. And so we're really kind of working through those growing pains and seeing how do you run quality control on 4,000 pack at a time when we're used to making, you know, a couple hundred.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors. Guys, I've known the owners of the Outdoorsman's for over 20 years. And the thing that I like most about the Outdoorsmans is they are hunters and they create all of their products with hunters in mind. I, I think they are the absolute authority on optics. If you call down there and talk to anyone at the Outdoorsmans and, and talk about tripods, talk about glassing, talk about optics, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, uh, backpacks... Uh, you name it, they're hunters so they can talk to you uh, one-on-one and give you first-hand experience on how to use the Outdoorsman's products. I strongly suggest uh, you give them a call at 1-800-291-8065 or go to their website at outdoorsmans.com They've got a really cool website. It shows a bunch of their products, the optics, the packs. Uh, the tripods, the bino accessories, uh, and they carry the greatest line of optics uh, uh, that's available on the market. So make sure you use the J. Scott promo code when you call and you'll get 10% off on all products. And I want to thank the outdoorsman's for their support. Utah Hydrographics is in the Water Transfer Printing Service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camo patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips... Helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle. Picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. You know, Heather, one of the things that really impressed me when I got my uh, package, um, you know, I saw them on the internet there and was a little bit curious as to the size of the pouches and what have you and the packaging. Um, You know, compared to other uh, backcountry meals, the packaging uh, seems much smaller. um, But I was surprised with the small packaging how much uh, food was actually in the package.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you noticed that. Cause I get that question all the time from people who see my business and they're like, wait, why aren't you just doing freeze dried? Because that's typically what you get from mountain house or backpackers pantry or anything else off the shelf. And the reason why I have kind of stuck to my guns with dehydrated food is a, I think it tastes better. B it's very approachable. So anybody can go buy a dehydrator and dehydrate food at home. And quite frankly, I think everybody should have one because they're so flipping fun to use. Uh, But then also dehydrated food is quite a bit smaller than freeze dried food because you don't get that kind of puffed consistency. And so we're able to fit, you know, close to 600 calories in a four ounce serving, which fits in a little bag you know about half the size of a quart size ziploc is about how much space our food takes up when it's dry so i'm glad you like the packaging now but you're really going to be impressed with the new bags we're getting this summer
0: (laughs) oh wow that's cool because i i think these are really good so that that's fantastic to hear that yeah
1: the buckwheat breakfast fits in a bag that Will basically slide into your back pocket, and it's close to 500 calories.
0: <laughs> oh wow, that that's fantastic! You know, I tried both the blueberry buckwheat and the uh, banana buckwheat, and liked them both. Um, blueberry was probably my favorite, but 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 banana was just a very close second there. Um, liked them both. Was very impressed. And then you know the paccaroons you've got. I'm looking at them here. You've got Chinese five spice uh, spiced cocoa packer sweet coconut, uh, lemon lavender, uh, lemon lavender, and black espresso. Um, just a nice variety. And I was impressed with the macaroons. Tell me a little bit, uh, you know, how that came about.
1: (laughs) Sure. So, when I was just getting into dehydrating food, I had found a recipe for these coconut macaroons that were all completely raw. And I ended up making those for basically everybody for Christmas one year. And so, I've continued to make these little coconut cookies for, like I say, six or seven years now. And The recipe has slowly evolved over time and I've developed tons of new flavors. Uh, The six that we have out now is uh, some of my favorites, but I've got probably 18 different (laughs) varieties I'd like to release at some point. So it's been fun to see that these little coconut cookies that I started making at home for myself and for my friends have now turned into some of our best sellers for Heather's Choice.
0: What would you say um, out of the six that you have, what what would you say your top three or is it totally subjective?
1: Nope. Orange vanilla pack runes, you're probably never going to be able to get your hands on them because we just can't make enough of them. It's crazy stuff because we put orange essential oils in them and then also Madagascar vanilla bean. And so people buy those like crazy. Um, I personally really like the Chinese five spice, even though it's not our best seller, because I think people don't really know what to expect with it. But it's a very awesome kind of savory chocolate flavor. It's super good. And then uh, black espresso is awesome for all of our mountaineering folks who are going out and need a little boost of caffeine (laughs) while they're out on the trail.
0: You know, that brings up a good point. Um, Let's talk about the ingredients that you use uh, in both the paccaroons, uh, you know, the the buckwheat breakfast and the uh, the dinner meals, um, I noticed the ingredients are they're they're
1: awesome. They're pretty damn clean. You know, for me, when I was thinking about Heather's choice, I knew that I wanted a product that was gluten free, dairy free, and soy free, and ideally, I wanted something that was really balanced in carbohydrates, proteins and fats, because what I was finding when I was trying to pack my own trips was that it was really easy to get a lot of sugar. You know, you could get tons of rice or tons of uh, beans or, you know, lots of wheat. And it was really hard to get some really good high quality protein, which for folks who don't know, protein is going to be the macronutrient that is the most satiating. So it's actually going to signal to your brain. Yes, I have eaten I am full. Whereas everybody knows the potato chip phenomenon where you can eat 2000 calories with the potato chips and (laughs) still not be full afterwards. And so when I was developing these meals, I was really intentional with picking ingredients that were high in good quality fats, high in protein, and then also moderate in carbohydrates. So for example, the buckwheat breakfast, it's mostly going to be fat calories that you get from that because you want those fats to really stay with you when you have long days out in the back country.
0: Yeah, I loved both of the breakfasts. both the banana and the blueberry were, were fantastic for sure. Um, what makes Heather's choice in your mind better than the competition?
1: <laughs> uh, it's totally different. You know, that's one thing, like I mentioned earlier, the fact that we have a dehydrated versus a freeze dried product, it makes our food just very, very different. Because a lot of people have this experience with freeze-dried meals where they're left at the end of it feeling potentially bloated, or they feel like they just ate... you know And so much salt, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They feel like they just ate a cup of salt. And that's kind of the flavor experience that they get is, wow, this is salty. (laughs) Or wow, this is sweet. So... I feel like our stuff is very different because all of these recipes are things that I would make at home. Like the most recent meal that we uh, have released on our adventure menu is our Ethiopian Dorawat. And this is a meal that I had experimented with home, making it in a Dutch oven and then dehydrated the leftovers. And we took that with us on a pack rafting trip in Utah. And after a 24 mile day, we sat down to eat this leftover dorwat, and I swear to you, it was the best meal I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> so
0: and that's Texas quail, right? <laughs> yep,
1: exactly. So I think that's what makes this business so fun is that I'm able to literally take recipes from home. If you were a guest and I was having you over for dinner, I'd probably make dark chocolate chili or Ethiopian dorwat for you, and serve it, you know, at the dinner table.
0: Yeah, no, I've been impressed with the way um, these meals uh, taste, uh, really good taste. Uh, the smoked sockeye salmon chowder, the tomatillo rancheros, the chipotle cherry chili. Um, what? What's your best seller or what's your most popular out of those
1: meals? Ooh, the smoked sockeye salmon chowder for sure, because that has been it's by far my favorite meal of the whole lineup. I will pick that one every time we're headed out into the back country. And it's such a unique uh, story behind it because initially when I developed the recipe, it didn't have smoked salmon. It was just dehydrated sockeye. But then I was introduced to this gentleman named Art Tilgner, who I mentioned earlier runs that uh, seafood processing plant down in Nanilchik, And Art is 80 years old and sharp as a tack and such an incredible gentleman. He's just, I can't say enough good things about him and his family. His wife, Joanne's a sweetheart. His son, Chris is awesome. And when I met Art, I got to taste his smoked salmon and it is absolutely the best smoked fish I've ever had. And so we formed this really cool partnership because he buys about, you know, five to 10,000 pounds of salmon every summer. And then spends all winter smoking it and turning it into his cold smoked lox. But on every filet, he can only use about 75% of it for lox. And then there's 25% of the filet that doesn't get cut and it ends up being scrap. And he's been trying to find an outlet for it. So we developed this partnership and I said, hey, Art, you know, cut up those pieces of smoked salmon for me and dehydrate them. And we'll incorporate them into the smoked salmon chowder. And it just dramatically improved the recipe and like I say has ended up being our absolute best seller.
0: That's a great story. I love that. Um last week when I was uh I I had some listeners that said, Jay, you you've gotta get Heather on the podcast, and that's what led me to you. And uh you were actually salmon fishing on the Copper River. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that.
1: So up here in Alaska, I don't know if it's this way in other places, but we have this awesome opportunity to go and do a little bit of subsistence fishing. So for every head of household, you can head up to the Copper River or down to the Kenai and get 25 salmon and then an additional 10 salmon for every person in your family. So you can imagine there are really big families with 10 kids that will head up there <laughs> you know, and take 125 fish home or whatever. So my boyfriend, Brad, and I headed up uh, for the opener on June 7th, and we took a week off of work knowing, okay, if the salmon aren't running the day we get there, we need to be able to stay until we hit our limit. So we went up there, and the first day got totally skunked and only pulled about seven fish out at like nine o'clock at night. So the next morning, we caught a boat downriver, got dropped off at about five o'clock in the morning. And by 930, we had gotten our limit and we were out of there. Um, So it was a pretty awesome experience to be able to take these big nets, you know, anywhere from three to five feet in diameter, and you literally set them down in an eddy in this really silty water. And sure as shit, the fish come swimming upstream and swim into your net, and you haul them out of the water, and <laughs> it is a flipping riot. It is so much fun. But as you Like,
0: know, roughly how many pounds?
1: Uh, like, these, how, how big are they? These are fairly small sockeye salmon, so they're maybe in, like, the 7- to 10-pound range, I would say. Uh, maybe even, like, smaller than that, depending on the fish. And uh, you can imagine that heading and gutting and filleting... 35 fish was a project, but our freezer is about a third of the way full for the winter.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. And not to mention, once they get in the net, it's a wrestling match, I'm sure.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, like I say, it is so much flipping fun. We're actually hoping to go again down on the Kenai this summer because now that we have 70 fillets, we're eating it like every other night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. Um, I'd like to give you a chance to... Uh, give some advice to our listeners as far as dehydrating food. And obviously, you're a pro at it. And obviously, you have these uh, phenomenal backcountry meals, which I'm going to give you a chance uh, for everybody to be able to go on Heather's Choice and you know check all your stuff out. Um, but what are some tips when you first got your dehydrator? Um, maybe a couple things that you learned that uh, maybe those out there that are listening uh, if they, if they get dehydrators that they could learn from mistakes maybe that you made already
1: <laughs> yes yeah, I've made them all I'm sure you know I think what's so fun about dehydrating food is that you don't let food go to waste so for example there's a community supported agriculture group here in Anchorage where they get tons of produce and then distribute it to people's homes but at the end of the week there may be tons of food that just didn't get distributed to people or it's leftover or whatever. And you can turn that stuff into awesome dehydrated snacks for your backcountry trips. So last night I made a coconut carrot soup that was pureed that you could easily just pour onto food dehydrator trays, kind of like a fruit leather. And then once it's completely dry, you can put it back in the blender and break it up until it's powdered. So then when you're in the backcountry, you just add hot water to that and you have a nice hot pureed soup. And then this morning I made uh, pear sauce. So just like applesauce, but with pears instead, because we had like 30 of them that we needed to process. And so same sort of deal. If you can make that into a pear fruit leather or you can make it into a pear sauce again if you add hot water to it. So I would say that anybody who wants to get into dehydrating food, definitely get maybe an Excalibur Dehydrator or a Nesco Food Saver uh, or Harvest Saver. You can find those online at Amazon and then get the fruit leather sheets. And when you use those, you just want to give them a quick spray of maybe coconut oil uh, or something, some sort of fat like that so your food doesn't stick to the fruit leather trays. And then have a blast playing around just making fruit leathers in the beginning because everybody likes fruit leathers. (laughs) Everybody will eat them and you may find that you have leftover bananas or cherries that are about to go bad or maybe some nectarines that are a little too ripe and just blending that stuff up and pouring it on the dehydrator trays. You can make your own fruit leathers overnight. And I just think that that's so neat. (laughs) It's just too much fun to play with food.
0: (laughs) Those are great tips, thank you for that and um, also, I'd like to ask you as 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 much training as you've had in nutrition um, for those listening that maybe this is the first time they've heard any of this stuff um, as far as just dieting for people out there and trying to uh, you know lose weight, what are like three steps that you would say if you follow these? You know, By changing your diet, these three steps, uh, this will help most people.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, I can't recommend The Primal Blueprint enough. So Mark Sisson is kind of my nutrition guru. He's one of many, but that guy is so freaking smart. And if you hop on MarksDailyApple.com and buy his book or read his blog posts, uh, you'll forever be entertained. The second thing, and you'll learn about this in the Primal Blueprint, is really to be cognizant of your carbohydrate intake. So whether you use a nutrition tracker or you're just kind of you know, eyeballing it, just being aware of how much sugar you eat every single day, whether it's from bread or it's from potatoes or lattes or whatever it may be, that's a really big stumbling block for people is they're simply just taking in too much sugar and they don't even know it. And then the last thing I would say is make sure you're eating enough good quality meat. You know, it's really impossible to regulate our appetite if we're not getting enough protein. So making sure you start your day with a protein rich breakfast, have a good portion of protein with lunch and same thing with dinner. And that will immediately improve your appetite regulation. So I would put money on all three of those. (laughs)
0: What what protein Give me some examples of the best sources of protein that you eat.
1: Uh, Definitely salmon. So that's a big one. Last night we had halibut. So we're really fortunate to have so much good seafood up here. We have backyard chickens. So we eat two to three eggs per person every single day. And then finally, uh, we get a lot of moose meat. But any sort of red meat, whether it's bison or beef, all of it needs to be grass-fed or wild uh,
0: deer elk exactly that
1: kind of st- so that sort of stuff is the healthiest food on the planet and so you know fortunately for people who are going out and hunting they just need to be eating the food out of their own freezer
0: <laughs> yeah for sure one question that that uh, i just thought of if you're if you're able to eat fresh fish cuz i know a lot of times people struggle when and i know i do when i go out to eat And you were talking about the different oils that food gets cooked in. If you do go out to eat and let's say you're going to have some fish cooked, do you ask specifically what kind of oil that fish is, you know, grilled in or is put on the fish? And what kind of oil do you recommend and that you consider is safe?
1: That's a great question. I don't tend to ask as far as like what. Uh, oils my food is cooked in at a restaurant because 98% of the time it's going to be vegetable oils and it's going to be really hard to get around that. So ordering your stuff grilled rather than, uh, you know, baked or fried is going to be a good option since there's probably not a lot of oils actually on the grill grate. But then if you are going to have something that's cooked in a pan, you know, I'm actually always going to choose butter (laughs) as my fat of choice which people always are really surprised by that. But if you can get yourself some really good grass-fed butter, uh, like a Kerrygold from Costco or something like that, that's going to be one of the healthiest fats you can have because you don't want to spend a lot of time cooking with olive oil, even though it's really healthy. Uh, It's not very heat-stable. It's actually very heat-sensitive, and so it can go rancid fairly quickly. So rather than cooking with something like olive oil, you're better off reaching for a grass-fed butter or an avocado oil or coconut oil.
0: Good stuff. Okay, that's that's great tips there. Um, well, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, I really appreciate you being on with us. Um, do you have any concluding thoughts or sounds like you're getting towed? <laughs> yeah,
1: thankfully I'm not. Like I say, I'm trying to find a place with good cell service, but uh, parking lots aren't really doing it. Um, no sweat. Any other good tips for people? Yeah,
0: yeah or, or just any um, any concluding thoughts. Uh, oh, tell me about heatherschoice.com, how people can find you on your social media platforms and what have you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So definitely encourage people to head over to heatherschoice.com and take a peek at our adventure menu. Uh, we have currently six flavors of our coconut packeroons six buckwheat breakfast, and six entrees. And my ultimate goal with Heather's Choice is to actually have a full day's worth of calories for somebody. So all their hot drinks, their breakfast, snacks, dinners, desserts, all of that. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for new offerings on the website. And then you can find us at Heather's Choice on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. We're kind of all over the place, but I try to post as many adventure photos as I can on our Instagram. And uh, more than anything, I love hearing from our customers and hearing what you guys are up to and where you're headed on your trips.
0: Yeah, that that's one of the things that not only super high quality products, but I love the story behind your business and and quite honestly, the story of you. And I uh, want to wish you the best of success and uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, really enjoyed getting uh, my sampler pack and, and trying all these different meals. And there's a few of them that I still have to, to try, but uh, the ones that I did try I really, really liked. And the, the packaroons are uh, fantastic little treats. Um, and going to be great for my hunts uh, upcoming. So uh just want to thank you for coming on and spending time with us and enjoy that Alaskan summer, okay? Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Enjoy Colorado. <laughs> All
0: right, sounds good. Well, thanks for sharing your time. Take care. All right, bye. Guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. I think Heather did a great job. I want to encourage you guys to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, on iTunes, or on Podbean, or on Stitcher, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I'm going to ask all you listeners, if you would, please go on iTunes, give us a positive review on iTunes, and give us a five-star rating. That helps our uh, placement on iTunes, and uh, without you guys' support, this podcast uh, wouldn't have the traction that it does, and I just thank each and every one of you. Uh, for your support, and God bless you till the next episode.